great to be here this morning uh, with you worshiping God. I hope that uh, you're feeling full of the spirit and full of faith. Uh, I know a lot of great things going on. Again, it's great to have uh, uh, Donna Jennifer. I also want to welcome Alicia and Alex Split in our teen ministry. So where's Alicia and Alex? Stand up, Alicia and Alex. Welcome. I know you're uh, it's not only Donna Jennifer, but you guys are here too. We're really grateful to have you guys in. Really, really great. You know, today I want to talk about uh, the concept of being radical. I've been reading the book. A number of us have read the book. I know the campus read it. A number of, of the Edge Ministry read it. It's a book called Radical by uh, David Platt. And uh, a lot of the material I, I shared today, uh, some of those ideas originate uh, from what I read there. Uh, but it made me think a lot about the most radical thing that ever happened in my life. And, you know, you define radical as um, Webster says it's, it's... Now, of course, the original definition of radical meant the origin of something, but we don't really use that term. Really, radical means something very different from the usual or traditional, something extreme, or favoring extreme changes in existing views, habits, conditions, or institutions. And I was thinking about the most radical thing that happened in my life, uh, and I remember a number of different things occurred, but I would say uh, some event I, uh, experience I had was I remember when we planted a church uh, as a as a Church of Christ movement around the world, we planted a church in South Africa in the early 90s. And this was right after apartheid had ended and Nelson Mandela had taken over the presidency in South Africa. And there was much turmoil and unrest in that country. Uh, if you know anything about the history of it, there was all kinds of difficulty because the country was uh, predominantly black, but the whites had controlled the country for years and years and years. And Nelson Mandela had uh, been really a political prisoner for many, many years, standing up for what was right and equality. And when he uh, finally was liberated and he took over the presidency, the country was just upside down. Tons of crime rate. The crime rate was atrocious. What well, was at that time that the, uh, the leaders of our church decided to go ahead and have a conference in South Africa right in the middle of that time frame. And I remember getting the opportunity to go to that and arriving and getting off the bus. And they had a shooting at the court right across the street from the hotel we were staying. Uh, a, a man had been um, uh, set free, even though he had shot. He was a white police officer had shot uh, some black uh, men uh, in the city. And they had gotten out of their, the, the, the case. They, they were let free. And the family of those that had been shot were mad. And so they were shooting. And this is all occurring right as we're getting out of the bus entering into the Holiday Inn in downtown Johannesburg. There were men with their double-barrel shotguns walking around and combat boots and guys with pistols. And, you know, I was from safe Southern California, and I was like, you know, I, you know, I was in the safe part of Southern California. Some might be more familiar with the, the gun thing, but it wasn't me. And so, I mean, I was like, Carrie, get in the hotel. And I was like, I'll get the bags. And we walk in, and the first thing we, we read is the, the welcome to, to all the conference attendees was, you know, warning you know, much unrest and turmoil. Do not leave the hotel without an armed escort. We're like, where have we gone? <laughs> you know, and, and it was an exciting time to realize that we, were, we had planted the first interracial church in that city. And we were hosting a conference of all the leaders of churches and leaders around the world to really get a taste of the radical spirit of doing what was right, standing up for equality, preaching the gospel, even in dangerous areas. Amen. It was something very radical. And you know, Jesus was the ultimate radical. He broke the traditions and views of his time. And his teachings 
they flew in the face of religion in that day, but they fly in the face of really Christianity today. You know, even his own family in Mark 3 said, oh, you're out of your mind. Because he had so many people at his house for Bible talk, so many people coming and going that him and his followers didn't even have a chance to eat. And yet we find in, in the reference to the scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 that, that, that Brian referenced in the communion, in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, if we are out of our mind, it is for your sake. It is for the sake of God, rather. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, when people come in contact with Jesus, he changes their outlook on life. When people come in contact with Jesus, he reorients their plans in life. When people come in contact with Jesus, he transforms them. And though that was the biggest uh, travel adventure and radical thing I'd seen at that point, really, it wasn't as radical an event as my actual conversion. The most radical thing we do is really saying Jesus is Lord and meaning it with our lifestyle, real repentance. That was a transformation of my whole mindset, my whole view, my whole purpose, my, my setting aside of the American dream. And today I want to study uh, a passage that I find is very uh, challenging and yet inspirational. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 10. And I preached this chapter to the campus on Tuesday. But I want to dig in a little deeper today. I want to pull out some more things. And I want us to really evaluate our own lives in view of the American dream. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 10. I want us to read there the story of the rich young man. He is... You know, he's a dream for somebody who's trying to build a ministry, and a guy runs up to you that's knowledgeable of the Bible, wealthy, well-to-do, and eager to do what is right. And he runs up to Jesus. We're going to read the story, and we'll find a radical conclusion to it. It says, as Jesus started on his way, verse 17 of Mark 10, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher who declared all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We've left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother 
or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Point number one, radical beliefs. You sit in church this morning... And you are here because of a man who had a radical teaching. And he calls on us to have radical beliefs beyond the norm of our culture. You know, the American dream was coined by a guy named James Truslow Adams. And he wrote a book entitled The Epic of America. And in 1931, he wrote, The American dream is a dream in which each man and woman shall be able to attain the fullest stature of which they are innately capable and be recognized by others for what they are. The American dream says that I am capable and it is about my hard work and using the talents that I have and the perseverance and that we live in a country with the the capitalistic freedom to attain our goals. And you know what? I had the American dream as a young 20-something, and I had a dream to be a millionaire. I had a plan to be a millionaire. I worked as a stockbroker, so I had this plan, and I knew how to accomplish it. It was clear to me how to accomplish it. I had a, a boss who had become a millionaire, and I knew if I followed his footsteps, I would get there. And I think about the American dream, and in American churches, we have all too easily succumbed, maybe not to the American dream of financial success, but oftentimes the American dream of churchianity. The comfort, the size, the glamour of our church. And ours is, is very modest. But there are super churches around the world. And there's an aching part in some of us that goes, oh, if only we had that. Sometimes I see the flyers that come in my, my mail from other super churches. I'm like, man, this is so good. Ours has got to be that good. And I think, oh, look at all the details and all the graphic design expertise. And man, we can do it better. We can be more corporate excellence. You know, the American dream has at its foundation the focus on the individual and what he can accomplish through the talents that he has. And You know, each individual aspect of it is not biblically incorrect. God wants us to work hard, and He wants us to use our talent. But you know, the Gospel says, fundamentally, that we're actually not able to accomplish anything of eternal significance on our own. In fact, the message of Jesus is that we're incapable... Of accomplishing the greatest things in life, which are eternal things. Apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. And in Romans chapter 3, we find the Apostle Paul. Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And the Apostle Paul sums it up as he's writing to this church in Rome. You know, the, the America of that day. And as he's talking to the church filled with, you know, worldwide educated individuals the capitalistic center of the world 
And he goes through and he makes it very clear. Summarizing in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, not one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see, the gospel is a radical teaching. And it calls us to a radical belief that it's not about us. You know, when we read the scriptures, one of the most common things we hear about, and you see it on billboards, God loves you. I put before you that God loves you is unbiblical Christianity, if you leave it at that. God loves you Christianity focuses simply on you. See, it's incomplete if you just know, well, Jesus loves me. I mean, that's a good song we teach our kids, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. But it's unbiblical if you leave it simply at that. It's not about me. The focus of Christianity is not about you. It's not about your sitting there receiving only what you need to get. And you need to think right now about your beliefs, about even why you come to church. What are you hoping for when you come to church? Is it about being at the right location for you? Is it about having the right music for you? Is it about having your needs met? Do you know, this is right for my schedule. This fits what I need to do. I like this preacher. He meets my needs. What can I get out of this? Oh, I'm not coming. I don't think I'll get anything out of it. Sometimes we think that way. We hear a different preacher. Or we hear a, a concept or a topic. Or we think, oh, I'm not getting anything out of that. I'm not going. Because your Christianity is based in you. And if that is the kind of Christianity that you hold to, it's not a Jesus Christianity. See, Jesus' message is God loves you so that you might make him known among the nations. I am convinced, is what Paul says, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that they would no longer live for themselves. But for him. Why are you here today? Is it for you? You know, why does God save us? Why, does, why did God do that? We saw the, 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 the passion account. We show that a lot. It's a great thing to remember. We take the, the bread and, 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 and the fruit of the vine to remember what Jesus did. That's a good thing to do. Why did God ultimately do it? Did he do it just for you? You know, he did it also for himself. He did it to glorify his name. He did it to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything in this world revolves around him, not us. You know, there's a story of a, of a woman in our fellowship named Karina. In 1987, she got baptized. She lived in India. In India, you face great persecution if you broke from the tradition of the family, which is what she did in getting baptized in our fellowship that we had planted just a couple months before. At the time, she was having heart trouble. And that humbled her and made her open her eyes up and want to find God. And she had to go in for open heart surgery just, re- just a month after she got baptized. 
After she got out of the hospital and was recovering, she explained more fully to her family how serious she was about her faith, that she wanted to go out that week to a, a devotional for the singles ministry that was going on right there in India. And her older brother cursed at her, and he beat her and said, No, what are you doing? Even though she was recovering from heart surgery. Her own father went and married another woman in a different country and maintained two families simultaneously and neglected his, his family, Karina's family, for years. At times, the father would make the children sleep outside just to discipline them. He'd make them sleep outside the hut even on rainy days in his anger and in his delusions. But Karina stayed faithful to God through everything. She had two more heart surgeries. Ended up finding the man of her dreams in the, in the church in India and getting married as a real disciple and having children. And years later, her father had returned back to India and wanted to live with her and her family because her brothers had kicked him out of their house. He said, well, you tortured us. So her brothers said, well, we're not going to let you stay in the house now in retribution. But Karina was a disciple and she had deep beliefs. She had radical beliefs, whatever it takes. She let her dad move in with her and her family, even though the things he had done to her, the way he had abused her. He moved in with her and her husband and her kids in a, in a small, small apartment. And he was sick from having to sleep outside because his sons had made him. But you know what? Just a couple months ago, Karina's dad was baptized in our church in India. And... Um, his sickness, his sickness led to death and he passed on. But he passed on in faith because he, a, a woman had a radical belief that she would do whatever it ta- takes. Forgiveness, conviction to love, whatever it takes. There's a picture of him right there in our church in India getting baptized. Do you have radical beliefs today? See, Jesus had a radical conviction. And when the rich young ruler ran up to him, The rich young ruler really is all of us. You've all come to church today, eager to ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and loves him. But then he calls him to give up everything to follow him. And he's calling every one of us to give up everything for him and the gospel. He's calling every one of us to go, am I really willing to give up whatever is holding me down? Am I really willing to have a radical belief that God's ways are the right ways? You see, for the Jews, and if you look at the apostles, when when he told them, listen, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom, they were just flabbergasted by it. They were amazed, the scripture says. They were even more amazed, it says, as he said, it's you know, nearly impossible, but not with God. Why? Well, if you look at the history of the Jews, you find that very early on, God said, if you're obedient to me, I will bless you. If you're obedient to my teachings, I will bless you materially. And we find Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob both gained great wealth as they showed obedience to God. And he, he blessed their herds and their crops, and their flocks, and they amassed great wealth. They ended up going into Egypt, and you know God blessed them, and they multiplied greatly. They were wealthy. The psyche of the Jewish culture was, if you're faithful to God, you will be blessed materially. 
We even find he says that in Deuteronomy. He says that, that one exact thing. And I want, to, I want to show you this here. In Deuteronomy, I'll give you the reference. Deuteronomy 28, verse 11. God, bottom line, just says, verse 11 and 12, that if you're faithful to me, I will bless you, that you will lend to many, but you won't be in debt to anyone. That's what he says. That he would bless that nation. And that was the psyche of their mindset. And yet Jesus has this radical teaching. That real wealth is eternal wealth. That real conviction on serving God would cause you to give up whatever is holding you down. And this guy had wealth. And he comes to Jesus eager to find something deeper in his life, doesn't he? He even runs it. He realizes as a good businessman, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to go right to the source. You've got to ask the exact question you need to get answered. You need to cut through. All the stuff that's on the surface and get to the heart of the matter. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I have all this other stuff. I'm sure I'm going to get this now too. And Jesus tells them the one thing he didn't want to hear. You got to give it up. You know, in Jesus' day, practically speaking, he wanted him to literally sell everything and follow Jesus around. Well, why? Because Jesus was going to be, you know, changing the world in that day and age on a practical basis, and he knew he'd be supported by the work he's doing. This guy's talented and gifted. He'd probably become one of the, the top leaders. Maybe God had in mind, maybe he was going to be Apostle Paul uh, ahead of time. This guy was a, a bigwig. Maybe some people think he was the synagogue ruler. You read other references. He, he, he was wealthy, well-to-do, knew his Bible, said, man, all these I have, I have kept since I was a boy. And yet Jesus challenges him with the one thing that's holding him back. Give it up and follow me. You know, do you have a radical reliance on God? Do you really believe God and take him at his word? Do you really? You know, there was a, an evangelist named George Mueller who lived back in the 1800s in Germany. And he took God at his word. He said, I know God... If he says it, it's going to happen. It's true. It's going to work. See, a lot of times we just don't take God at his word. We don't really rely on him enough to put it into practice. But George Mueller, he saw in the book of James that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. He saw that God says, you know, if you put your trust and faith in me, I will provide. At the end of the day, I will come through. And so he began an orphanage. But he began this orphanage without asking for any funding from any person whatsoever. What he did is he situated his own home so that he could take in orphans. He talked about God's message, and then he would pray. He would ask God to meet the needs of those orphans as he and his wife began to serve. He never asked for any money from a single person, but only in prayer asking God to meet the needs. You know, he ended up meeting the needs of 10,000 orphans. He received donations of over, by today's dollars, over $100 million. Over a long period of time as he built these, these houses to, to handle these orphans. He had a radical belief that God would come through if he put his total trust in God and his words. There's a story that he writes about how he prayed for every need that occurred when the heater would go out. He would pray for the the workers to get it done in a timely fashion as a storm was coming. 
And sure enough, it would work out. One time, all the orphans sat down to eat breakfast, and they began to thank God for the food that he would provide, and there was no food at that time. The door, at the end of the prayer, there was a knock on the door, and the local baker had brought over a whole bunch of fresh baked bread for all, baked bread for all the orphans at the end of the prayer. And there's story after story, you can read the, the history of George Mueller. He was radical in his beliefs. And he had a radical plan to make a difference in people's lives. You know, where are your beliefs this morning? Are you willing to take God at his word? Sometimes, sadly, what we do is we think all God's promises, oh, I like those. But what about the obligations that God calls us to? Are his promises for you, but not the obligations? A lot of times that's how we live. We think God's promises, oh yeah, I like those. But what about the obligations that go with it? You know, God calls us to total purity. One of God's radical teachings is total purity. Sexual purity in our generation is a, is a newfound thing. Because our, our, our generation is saturated with sexual impurity. Pornography is rampant across the world. Did you know that the income of the pornography industry exceeds the combined income of NBC, ABC, and CBS all together? The income from the pornography industry exceeds the combined income of all the professional sports in the world. It's epidemic, and yet God calls us to total purity. Let not even a hint of sexual immorality be found among you. Not even a hint. That's God's expectation. Will we hold God to that? Will we hold ourselves to that? You know, there's a guy who started a ministry. And he started a ministry to help people out of the homosexual lifestyle. A disciple. He said, you know, God can do it. I believe God's word is right. I'm going to hold to God's word. God says that he made man and woman to be together and he doesn't want there to be same-sex attraction in a sexual way. It's inappropriate, it's ungodly, and it's just not right biblically. And he held to God's words. He ended up overcoming homosexuality, getting married, having children, and starting a ministry. And you can go there, strengthinweakness.org, by Guy Hammond. is a ministry right now that he established because he took God at his word, had a radical conviction that flies in the face of the universalist thinking of our culture. And he's pulling people out of, of a challenge. Is homosexuality worse than sexual immorality? No. It's sin. But God calls us out of it. God calls us to a deep conviction that we can be pure. You know, I'm so grateful in our ministry. We have uh, an incredible edge ministry that has our singles ministry and our young marrieds without children's ministry. And we have five couples in that ministry who all of them dated, went through engagement, and were totally pure. That's exciting. They dated, totally pure, holding hands, a little peck on the cheek. You know, no sexual immorality before marriage. Yeah, you know, that's unheard of in our culture, quite honestly. In fact, I know all their stories. I did their marriage count, most of their marriage counseling, and I know their stories. It was unheard of in their life before they became Christians. They didn't think that way, but God's word called them to radical beliefs. You know, God's word talks about encouraging one another daily. Committed to total encouragement. You know, I want to hold up the Edge Ministry again for something really exciting. You know, for the last 
like five months, the women in that ministry have prepared weekly for an incredible night of encouragement to the men, to hold up to men, to tell them how valuable they are to them. And last night they hosted their brother's encouragement night, and I've, just, I've heard the guys coming in and saying, it was incredible. The first thing I did when I walked in, they were clapping for me. They were so excited to have us there. They were holding us and saying, we love you, brothers. And I want to hold up the, the Edge Ministry Sisters for doing that. Great job. Total purity is possible. True radical beliefs are possible. you got to hold to God's word. You know, the thing I want to get to now is point number two, radical obedience. Radical obedience. You know, the rich young ruler ran up to him wondering what he needed to, to do. And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And so he goes through the commandments and says, all these I have kept. All these, right? Well, the commandments are do not do this, do not do that. The only one is honor your father and mother is the only thing you do. And here's the thing. Christianity cannot be defined by what we don't do. Your faith can't be defined by what you avoid. Our Christianity needs to be defined by what we do to change the world. Today as you sit here, are you a receiver of God's word or are you a reproducer of God's word? How do you know? Well, let me ask you something. Are you taking notes right now? Yeah, this is intended for you to think about. And my wife's taking notes. You know what? On my shelf at home in our office are rows and rows of journals of all the notes from every sermon that she, she sits in. She takes notes on every sermon. It doesn't matter who's preaching. She takes notes. She's thinking about it. Why? Because she's a reproducer. She wants to pass on the teachings. She wants to change lives. She doesn't want to just sit there, oh, feed me. Oh, I like that. That's good. Oh, I feel good today. I'm going on my day. She wants to pass it on. It's not about, you know, it's not about what she's avoiding. It's about what she's doing to change the world. We can't simply just disinfect the world. That's a nice idea, disinfect it. We need to disciple the world. Get it going. Get it changing other people's lives. We don't simply pull them out of the world. We pull them out of the world, train them up, and put them back in the battle for changed lives, for souls. You know, the rich young ruler, he runs up to him, and he wants to know the answer to this question. You know, what's God's will for my life? How do I get to heaven? And a lot of us ask that question, right? How do I get to heaven? And we ask the question, I really want to know God's will. Yet the question really isn't, you know, what is God's will? The question is, will you obey God's will? See, he says, good teacher. That's your first inkling that he's not going to get it. Because he sees Jesus simply as a good teacher. Are biblical teachings just good teachings you like to hear a little bit now and then? Is the Bible a pretty good book? I like to read that. Yeah, Jesus, he's a good guy. I, I, I trust that. Or is Jesus your everything? You know, Peter, he speaks up. He says, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything. See, they understood God's will and they responded to God's will. There's a family in Colorado, the Heath family. I don't know if any of you guys know the Heath family. They were missionaries in our ministry uh, and they came back from the mission field back in 2003. And they they came back to Colorado and they started a, a business there. And... The business became very popular. 
Uh, it was like a, a bicycle um, uh, accessory shop. And it became very successful. In fact, it was rated a top 50 Colorado company. And yet, despite the success of the company, Jim Heath was searching and struggling to discern God's will for his life. And as he was praying, he said, God, I will go anywhere you call me to go. I will go. And right at that time, an opportunity rose up that he found about in China where he could go and make a difference in one of our underground churches and still support his family. But to go, he would have to sell his entire very successful business in a very nice suburb of Colorado. And you know what he did? He did it. And just a couple weeks ago, they said goodbye to the Heath family as they were leaving for Shanghai, China to help work in the church they're going to have a little business that he's able to do over there. But he, he has two, two daughters, one entering high school. Freshman daughter about to go into high school. You know, basically been living here in Colorado, seeing, you know, what's going on and enjoying the suburban lifestyle of Americanized Christianity. And the daughters are like, we'll go. What's exciting is on that very day when the church said goodbye to them, she was baptized into Christ. Amen. And they are now making a difference and impacting our work in that church in China. But you know, what about you guys? Are you willing to commit to a radical obedience? Are you willing to commit to the same thing that, that Peter said? No, we've left everything to follow you. Are you really willing to take Jesus at his word, the radical calling of Christianity, or are we stuck in the American dream Christianity? See, Jesus calls them to do something radical, and he was unwilling to do it, the rich young ruler. And he went away sad, didn't he? He looked down, he wasn't willing to give that thing up. He wasn't willing to let go and let God fully take control of his life because it would have meant radical changes in his social condition. Radical changes in his viewpoint about his future. Radical changes in the, you know, the, the horse and carriage that he was driving that, that week. It meant radical changes. You know, as Jesus says, give up everything. He doesn't only say that on a, you know, he practically told him, sell everything right there. But we know the scriptures teach every one of us is to give up everything in order to be a real disciple. The calling's the same. So whether you actually sell your stuff, Jesus isn't walking around anymore. He owns all your stuff. He owns your job. He owns your finances. He owns your future. He owns your talent. He owns your life. And because of the cross, he is able to call you to complete surrender and obedience to him. He's able to call you to give up your entire life for his mission of changing the world. And he says to give. We are absolutely to give God total ownership. And here's the thing about giving. I want us to think about our finances. We've been doing financial quiet times as a church. I want us to, to look long and hard at finances. We are the richest top 0.01% in the world without question. And we can't sit idly by as orphans, millions of them around the world. Death from starvation takes place. I read a statistic something like 27,000 kids die worldwide because of starvation every day. The sex slave trade, rampant all around the world. 
Have, we, have any of you done anything for the sex slave trade around the world? I haven't. But it bothers me that it's going on. And billions are being made out of it. You know, we gave money to the tsunami in Japan and gave money to Haiti and gave money to the Civil War uh, rebuilding in in Abidjan, Ivory Coast. And I commend the church for that. Fantastic. Some of us, you know, have a heart to really meet those needs. And Hope Worldwide is doing amazing things. Amen? But we can't sit in the church, handle our finances, and turn a blind eye to the world. We can't do it. I've been, Karen and I have been just getting our budget as we're working on this church. We're getting our budget in line. We really want to be careful. We want to, we want to use what God's given us in a wise way. You know, it needs to be not, not you know, okay, let me get my budget around exactly so I'm living within my means. It needs to be how much can I live with so that I can give away more and more. The scary thought I read in that book was, you know, we look back on the slavery issue in America now, right? And we think, can you believe people call themselves Christians and had slaves? When you think about this. People look back, you know, we look back now in that time and we think, can you believe people actually had slaves and thought they were Christians? How ungodly and crazy a mindset. Yet our country, that's, a lot of them, I'm a Christian, but, you know, and I'm giving my, my slave an extra chicken for, for Christmas. I'm a good Christian. And, we, and, we, and somehow we pat ourselves on the back back then. A lot of people thought that. Now, praise God, not everyone. But I wonder if 150 years from now, we'll look back and go, you mean you were a Christian, you did nothing about the sex slave, pornography, starvation around this world? Did you know that in the world today, there are 6.97 billion people? 312 million of them live in the United States. So some of us think, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in evangelism right here. That's my interest, evangelism right here. And, you know, God will handle the rest. If you only have a heart for the United States or the heart for only your city, then you only have 4.4% of God's heart. Because the other 95% of the world lives outside of here, and only about a third, if that, even call themselves Christians, even think of Jesus, have even really even heard about Jesus. And we know that most people who call themselves Christians are Christians. Just because you call yourself one. So how interested are we in the 4 billion people outside? 4.5 billion. How interested are we really in world evangelism? How radical will we be? And it starts in your heart to say, if I'm going to be a disciple, I am about world evangelism. That's why we give every year to World Evangelism. That's why we have people going to different places around the world. Did you know that they're asking for missionaries? I saw this email just this morning from Sean Wooten, who leads our churches in Kiev, where we got to go a couple years ago and see our great church there. They're starting a church in Warsaw, Poland. They want to kick it off next summer at the, the World Mission Jubilee in San Antonio. And he's asking for missionaries right now. Any of us speak Polish? Anybody want to go to Poland? Because I'm telling you, I'm so excited to read that. You know, there's more plans. There, there's the idea out there, the details aren't worked out, of, of planning a church in Rome. Now, I volunteered for that because I love Rome. But, you know, I also was reading there are lots of churches that need campus ministers, teen ministers, married ministers. How many of us are dreaming to go in the ministry? Is it just the campus guys that I get with every week? Who's dreaming to be a minister, a missionary? I will go. We've got to shake off the cross, church. Open our eyes more and more and realize that we 
are being called to a radical belief system and a radical obedience. You know, I want to close out just holding up two awesome members of our church. I want to hold up, firstly, a brother who's going to Manila. He's going there as a missionary. And here's the thing. He's self-supporting. He has raised the funding himself to get himself there. He's talked to the church leader. He's, on, he's, he's been uh, talking to them through the Internet, arranging housing. Some of the campus and Edge uh, gave some money to just help him get his airline ticket over there. And he's heading over there. I'm so proud of him. He's going to be going over later this month. That's Rob Hennigan. I'm very, very proud of him. And he's going to be working on one of our campuses over there that needs to be built up. It's a small campus. Another sister has wanted to take that one-year challenge, and she's had contact with our churches in China, and, and the plans are being laid. It looks like it's going to all work out really well for her, and she's going to be going to China as a missionary, and that's Lindsay Patterson. I'm really proud of her as well. And it looks like that's going to happen. So the details are, are being finalized. But what about you? Are you willing to hold to Jesus' radical beliefs? And are you willing to have a radical obedience? Jesus says, you know, you give it all up, you're going to receive a hundred times as much right here. But you're going to be persecuted, but you're going to receive a treasure in heaven that is worth more than anything we could ever imagine. See, God specializes in showing us that we're not capable on our own. It's about him and his ways. His ways are radical. Let ours be as well. Amen.